Welcome, everyone, to DEI After Five, the show that focuses on topics across diversity, equity, and inclusion with some of the brightest minds in the industry. Here's your hostess, inclusive culture curator and coach, Sasha Thompson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of DEI After Five. So we often talk about people that are passionate about doing diversity and equity and inclusion work, right? That's kind of what drives them to move forward as they're doing this very difficult work. But then there's some other emotions that happen, right? Fear, anxiety, frustration that slow us down or stop us in our tracks. And so so today we are speaking to um, a therapist and a practitioner, founder of You Power Change, Rory Geller Muhammad. So Rory, welcome to this week's episode. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm so happy for you to be with us. So for those who may not know you, can you tell us a little bit about you and the work that you do? Yes, sure. So my name is Rory Gellar Muhammad. I am a licensed clinical social worker and DEI practitioner. And the interesting thing is I blend both of those things together. And so we do a lot of DEI and well-being work together. Um, I do coaching and consulting. Um, and that's just sort of the way we're working with organizations to see how do we build leadership to do this work? How do we navigate emotions as we do this work to make mm. sure that it doesn't get stuck and sort of stopped in the tracks? Absolutely. And, you know, that's such a huge part of this work. I remember a few years ago, right? But even before kind of that summer of 2020, where there was this influx of people getting into diversity and inclusion work because they were passionate. And then I was, I'm like, okay, well, what are you passionate about? Oh, and be very, very specific, right? So I'm passionate about gender equality. I'm passionate about, you know, name the thing. Um, but then summer 2020 came and everything kind of exploded. And that passion turned into anxiety, yeah. turned into frustration, turned into imposter syndrome turned into all of these other emotions that I think many people still are, are dealing or, and grappling with. So talk to us a little bit about kind of that transition between passion and kind of hitting the reality of this work. Yes. Yeah. No, I think that's a great place, right, to kind of have this conversation is one of the things that happens where that when you think about where the passion comes from, right, is at some point there's a lens that is built around sort of DEI issues, right? And what this looks like. Um, and because of how we, our own personal identities and the way we are situated right in the world, different aspects of the lens may show up for us at different times based on our experiences, mm -hmm. our education, our training and all of those things. And as sort of this lens sort of develops for us, right? Some kids, maybe when our children, maybe when we're adults based on different aspects and it can bring up a lot of feelings and a lot of emotions. Um, and a lot of things that come with that, right? If, if we're being harmed based on sort of the way we are showing up in the world, then there's going to be certain trauma, emotions connected to trauma often that are connected to it. If we're showing up in ways that we may are, because of our identities, we have advantages in the world, we may not see certain things and we're blinded by that. So for me, for example, right, being a white woman showing up in the world 
I wouldn't necessarily have to, I didn't have to have a lens around race unless it was taught to me, pushed towards me, right? It didn't have to automatically come up because I wasn't seen in that way. Um, For me growing up in a multiracial family, the lens came at an earlier age than many other white people because it had to. Um, And so I think the piece of it with with the lens that comes up, it brings up these emotions. And then we kind of have this reflection and processing moments that we often need, we need some support around. And sometimes depending on where we're at, like it may be built into our support system already or the ways we have in our spaces, but we may not always have that. And if we don't kind of sit with that or navigate that and we kind of just skip to sort of the action, right? The passion and just sort of take yep. the passion and just go, we're kind of, we often don't have the skills or strategies to be able to do that. And we don't often have the, even the self-awareness to really jump to that. You know what? I, I love that you you framed it that way because it's almost two sides of the same coin, right? Where there's that stopping or, or hindrance because we don't have the skill set or we haven't been exposed to these other aspects of identity, right? That others are born into. Yeah. The flip side of that is exactly what you spoke about with the trauma. You know, there are many people, many practitioners that actually go into this work because of the trauma. And what is very interesting or nuanced about that is they're they're operating from a place of pain, which also puts a set of blinders on as well, too, right? Because now it's, okay, this is, we need to get through this, right? And race is usually one of those big traumas that people have to to start to work through. Um, And so can you talk about the other side of this coin where people are operating in the space from a position of trauma or haven't dealt with their own trauma? Yeah, yeah. So I think there's a piece, right, for um, how is it showing up and how do we recognize the way that maybe we may be feeling anxiety because Mm -hmm. of things that it may be coming out in ways that we may not be as comfortable, right? We are recognizing, are we even aware that it's coming out that way? Are you recognizing the anxiety is being caused from that, depression, any of those factors? And then I think the other piece, right, of the trauma too is are the other people in the space or that are also trying to, is there empathy around the trauma that someone's experiencing? Mm -hmm. Because then it can kind of be sort of this trauma upon trauma upon trauma when someone who is doing DEI work and is coming from that space and is facing this resistance because someone else doesn't have the empathy for it or understanding for it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's this disconnect that emotions on both sides kind of can flare up at that point. And everybody sort of on the, it's kind of like a self, right? The self-protecting mechanism, right? A defensiveness of mm-hmm. how do I protect myself? Um, or how, what do I, and, and there is, right? Like what, what, what is safe? How do I feel safe? Right, right. And you know, it's so interesting because that empathy again is on both sides, yes. right? It's, it's giving, I talk about space and grace a lot um, with my clients and how do you give people space to, unpack some of the things that they're dealing with and the grace to be able to do that, right? Not everyone, like, and I, it irks me a little, I should say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> people call themselves, you know, DEI experts because nobody is an expert in this space, right? There may be areas that we have expertise, yeah. um, but we aren't DEI experts by any stretch of the imagination. And so by giving people some of that space and grace, you're allowing individuals to grow 
right? As individuals, but then also what is that relationship with the collective? And I don't know if we as practitioners allow enough of that time and space mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear that. And I think when we think of like within organizations, is there opportunities, right? A lot of restorative work really needs to be done. And is there the opportunity for looking back at what harm might have been done and how do we restore that in those spaces, which can kind of bring up some of those conversations, um, holding space, right. For the emotions, making sure what is support, I think providing support is another one. Like how do we make sure that people are supported mm-hmm. in those conversations from, from all ends of that. Um, and for right, when we think about trauma, right. What does healing look like? What is yeah. needed and making sure that that is heard as well, right. That those, that that can be voiced and heard and it's a safe space for voicing and, and hearing that. And the other piece too, I think so often there's an individual sort of this individual piece, I think that's put on it where it's like my responsibility, like individually, each of our own responsibility to kind of like navigate this or fix this. And, or, and we kind of forget sometimes that it's this stuff, it's systemic. Right. right. And so the, the, when we think about how do we, not the fixing, but like the care that needs to be done is often systemic caring that needs to be done mm-hmm. and systemic change instead of this sort of like when we say self-care, yes, self-care is a piece, but I often think that it, it sort of what does collective care look like? It's yeah. a conversation that isn't often had enough. You know what? And I, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I was, I've been talking to a couple of clients right now and unpacking some of the challenges. It is this hurt and pain and trauma that have happened to individuals, but have impacted the team and parts of these teams are like, okay, why can't you just get over it? Right. Right. So the lack of empathy. Yeah. Um, But then I also think that there is some fear in, I don't want to own my part in causing harm. Yeah. Right. So let me, make this a collective, like we all caused harm. We all versus what role have I played in this, right? Owning that. And so there's, there's that piece of it as well. And so to your point, it's this layering of emotions that continue to cause frustration and anger and hinder team dynamic. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I think like I love what you're saying, right? This piece of, you know, looking at what what role did I play in this and holding that accountability. And that in itself brings up so many emotions because when our behavior isn't in line with sort of our values or the way we maybe hoped we would have been, our behavior would have been perceived or the way we were acting. And so what does it mean to really have to reflect on that my behavior isn't, that that behavior wasn't how I want to behave? And so what does accountability look like with that? And I think when we see sometimes like organizations that um, sort of when we sort of assess kind of where are we at with this and then they get back leadership gets back sort of this is the data of here's where we're at. I think even in that of sort of there's this um, a struggle to kind of process that data and reflect both on holding accountability for it as leaders within the organization also thinking like, Yes, it's the behavior. And also when we think about it, we don't have to get stuck in sort of a guilt space or a shame space because it's also, well, where did that come from, right? We weren't educated in school around that. Often the messages we received at home weren't 
we're not sort of this collective sort of piece. We didn't receive. So it's kind of, we also have to look back of like, why are, why is it, where is this behavior coming from? And why is this the way I am kind of relating in the world at the moment? Yeah. You know, I was having a conversation with someone the other day and we talked about how we are indoctrinated into this rugged individualism, yes. right? As Americans, yes. air quotes around that, yes. um, you know, but as part of this, the culture of the United States, and I, I would stretch to say North America to some extent, mm -hmm. um, is this rugged individualism, right? It's this, I, I it's all about me yeah. versus this community which many um, global majority communities are built that way, are much more community oriented. And so there's this cultural struggle that happens when we try to shift what's happening in the workplace, particularly for people that are part of the, the global majority, right? So how do you reconcile this rugged individualism with I actually have a role in how this team dynamic is playing and, and playing out. And I have a responsibility to this team and this community to try to create an environment that is psychologically safe, that is healthy, you know, all of these things for everyone. Yes. Right. Yes. I, you know, I feel like I, I've seen that, right. Yes, definitely. I see that come up a lot with often with people that I'm coaching where they're kind of like you're saying, right. Navigating in these dynamics where they're often sometimes our upbringing. If our upbringing comes from a more collective culture, like culturally upbringing, that connection piece, and and then right, it's sort of this piece. What does it look like in the U.S. when there's sort of this in this individualistic and sort of this capitalistic system? Mm -hmm. How right? How do we kind of do that? And I think it was back to how do we strengthen our skill set and our strategies around that? Right? Like how do we build the skills? But I also think it goes back to that. It's the empathy piece of relating to that. And also recognizing the um, a, how a different way could bring us so much more success, but it's not always viewed that way. And so I think there's also this perspective of how do we look at doing things differently right. and that being okay when we've always done things a certain way and it, it feels uncomfortable. So yeah. like we never looked at it like this and outside of work, I may not even do it like I run my life like this individual, right? If so, if I'm doing that in an individual way outside, and now you're trying to push me to kind of do it differently inside, that's a whole other set of emotions that comes up. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really is kind of this cognitive dissonance of <laughs> I don't know what to do in either situation at some right? point, right? <laughs> like you freeze, um, but it, it definitely comes back to empathy, right? You know how can you understand how this other person is feeling, yeah. you know, and, and based on that, how do you then interact? Because again, if you're like, well, I'm not responsible for how that person is feeling rugged individual, yeah. right. That that's operating in one very distinct way versus I actually care about how I'm impacting someone else yeah. and let's be in community. Maybe we are miscommunicating. Maybe, there is, you know, there's how we are connected is is not clicking for us. And so how do I work on, how do we yeah. collectively work on that yeah. so that there's harmony yes. there? Yeah, you know, definitely. And, and I think it shows up a lot, too, like can show up in this way where um, 
when something is brought to someone's attention around sort of, um, you know, something, a person feeling harmed or feeling slighted or feeling something or microaggression, anything like that. And then when the person who is maybe unintentionally causing some type of harm tries to also explain away the behavior, right? And so yeah. often miscommunication, I think, happens in that scenario because yeah. the person is trying to explain in their way saying, well, I didn't mean it. That wasn't my intention. Here's what I was trying to do versus like the person that's in pain and upset and hurt and right angry about it is their feelings aren't being validated. Yes. And there's such a disconnect, I think, right? There's the empath that empathy piece there of, you know, what's being missed? Like, even if it wasn't the intention, yeah. um, how do we, and I think that's where also this piece of like, how do we pause, listen, and like spend some time in our own feelings for a few minutes, reflecting, processing, and then coming back to a conversation. You know, I, I love that. It's again, because my clients just give me all kinds of <laughs> things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm thinking about a situation where it's, you know, a young lady who um, is of the global majority and is feeling exactly what you just said, right? Not feeling heard, um, you know, feeling microaggressed, all of these things. And as I was driving this morning, what clicked for me was, let me ask the question to the leaders in her organization, what if she's right? Yes. How would you approach the situation then, right? Of the team culture, yeah. if she's correct? Yes. No, that's right. Versus yes. she's the problem. What if she's not the problem? Right. right. What are your other avenues? And so it really is, again, goes back to that reframing of we've operated this way. Yes. But who's to say that that's the right way? Yes. And I think right. how hard it is to hold that question. Yes. And sit with that and have to reflect and pro and like the emotions that come up with that, right? Because if this person is right, does it mean that I did something wrong? And right. And right. If, if so, now what? <laughs> right. What does that right. mean for me in all these scenarios? Right. How are people going to look judgment? Like all the things, right? The insecurities, all the stuff. And so the fact that how important emotions are in the conversation and like that there's space for those emotions too. And we can work through them. But I think that another piece is the resilience to work around, work through those emotions is a skill that also has to be built up that not, it's just not automatic, right? We're not always just born with that. Right. I'm writing um, all of these kind of skills that, you know, as we're talking, people, you have to, you have to exercise those muscles, yeah. right? Yeah. Not everybody's empathetic, okay? So, but you can build that, right? By being aware and being cognizant of what's what's going on. Resilience, right? How do you stay in the fire? Yeah. And like sit in that yeah. versus running from it, right? Yeah. And so um, when I think about this, this is also part of these leadership skills that are yeah. so necessary um, that people aren't taught or people aren't told are part of leadership, yeah. right? You know, most, and I've been saying this for a while, most leaders are promoted because of what they could do with widgets, right? right. Maybe buy, sell, <laughs> whatever it is with widgets. Yes. Yes. They're good at that. Yes. And so now we're going to give you more people to make more widgets or, or right. build or sell more widgets, but they aren't necessarily promoted because of their people skills. Yeah. 
or their leadership skills. And so that's the work of, I'm doing a lot of that work and helping them build those skills kind of while we're flying the plane, right? We're building the plane yes. as we're flying it. Yeah. Um, and so as you're thinking about like some of these skills, what are some other skills that are, that leaders need to have, or even just some of these relational skills that, that need to be fine tuned? Yeah. Yeah. So I, what I love about what you said is right. The fact that these are leadership skills, I think even at the basic level first, sorry, even before I answer that, I don't even think people often even put that right in that category, like you're saying, right. right. It's not even viewed that way. So, yeah, I mean, in addition to that, I think, um, this self-awareness piece of it, right. Which I think goes back to the skill of what, how do I reflect on something? How do I process it? Even a basic skill of like identifying emotions. A lot mm -hmm. of times we're not even taught like how to talk about emotions and that that's a part of we're often, it's even said, right? Like you don't bring that to work, right? That stays right. at home. <laughs> and that even sometimes doesn't even exist there. Um, so even having language to identify emotions can be helpful and be a huge yeah. thing to be able to identify what's happening, to recognize what might be happening on your end and to recognize what could possibly be happening on somebody else's end. And even, I mean, asking or not, you know, about what, what that is. But right. bringing, I think, feelings into a conversation where we're taught it typically doesn't, it doesn't belong. Yeah. And I think with DEI work, it has to belong because we're talking about humans and it's human work, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and again, it's emotional intelligence. And yeah. Yeah. Um, the yeah. very first episode of DEI After Five was on emotional intelligence yeah. because I'm like, that is such a critical aspect of this work yeah. of that, that leaders need to have, everyone needs to be able to go through and understand emotions, yeah. right? And so if you can't even tell me what emotion you're having, how can you understand what anyone else right. is dealing with? Right, right. right? So I, I absolutely love that. And I think um, I'll have to find it, but there was like almost like this emotion wheel. Yes, yes, a feelings wheel. You can Google yes. it and you can find there's all different ones. The feelings wheel, there's the children, a children's version of like small smiley faces with different ones. And then the grown up version is like a, is a feelings wheel. Yeah. I mean, so, that thing, yeah. I, the first time I saw it, I was just like, oh, yes. this is gold. Like, yes. This is, yes. This is gold. So important. Because yeah. there, again, so many people only know the basic emotions, right? I'm happy. I'm sad. Yeah. I'm frustrated. Yeah. That's pretty much it. <laughs> right. I'm tired. Right. You know, right. so it's, it's all of these things, but there's so many nuanced mm -hmm. feelings and emotions and it's complicated because sometimes you have one emotion that could be overlaying your actual, you know, the emotion that you have, yeah. right? You're angry, but when you drill Underneath. down, it's frustration. Right. Or hurt. Or hurt. Exactly. So, you know, understanding that about yourself yeah leads to me, I believe, and I'm not a therapist. So I'll leave that to you. <laughs> but I think that that leads to empathy. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. And I think the other piece is when we have, like, what do we do with those emotions? I think having a support system is yeah. really important. And we don't, it, it may not sort of be the traditional support system that we think of related to sort of like emotions. We have our family, we have our friends, and we may need to have certain people that we talk to about certain things. Mm -hmm. um, there may be so, certain coworkers. And so having developing relationships so that we have that support system is also something that's really important. I love that. Um, cause you think about it. I mean, 
how this show started was kind of my emotional support system of DEI practitioners, right? And I'm like, what are you doing after five? Right. Let's go somewhere and, and talk about the yeah. foolishness of the day. Yeah. But it, it's really understanding and knowing kind of who's there for those, those things. Um, Rory, I'm going to do a little bit of a pivot because, you know, there's so much of this and you, again, as a practitioner and coach and therapist wearing all of these hats, what do you do to kind of fill your cup? How do you take care of yourself? Yeah. So I think on the most basic level, I try to go for a walk every day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like to be in nature when I can be, obviously it doesn't always happen, but I feel like that's something that is helpful for me. Um, being around family and friends. And doing it sort of at the appropriate amounts that feels good for me at the moment. I have two kids, so that's not always. Um, <laughs> and there's times when it fills my cup and there's time when it depletes my cup. So knowing and being aware of that has also mm. been very important. Recognizing, I think, boundaries um, and trying my best to kind of recognize my energy and having boundaries mm. that protect that. And the one other thing I know is that one place that I, I like to go that I feel like super um, fills up my cup is there, I love going to kind of like read it, like go to a bookstore, I feel like does that. But there is, locally, we have a children's social justice bookstore called Rohi's Readery. Ooh. And I feel like whenever I just go into that space, whether to get something for my kids or with my kids, it just feels inspiring and like magical. <laughs> so that's one thing that I, I feel like on the outside that I do. I love it. I love it. So Rory, if people wanted to connect with you, follow up, ask questions. Where can they find you? Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn. You could definitely find me there. Um, my website is my, it's youpowerchange.com. And um, yeah, I have a, a podcast, DI Lab. And yeah, that's where they can find me, ask questions. And I would love to, to connect with people. I love it. Lori, thank you. Rory. Thank you so much. My tongue's getting tied today. Thank, Thank you, you so much for, for joining me today. I, you know, this is a conversation that I absolutely love having because we don't tap into our emotions. And so yeah. and I think that hinders so much of this work. Um, and, and so many of the blockers of this work are people's emotions being fear and anxiety and just not knowing what to expect, right? So once we can kind of get through that and understand how to deal with that, we could probably get a lot more work done. So thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you all for listening and watching this episode of DEI After Five. And as always, you can find us every Tuesday at 5.15 p.m. on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, share, do all of the things. And until next time, have a good one.